Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy folks. It's Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Just want to welcome you to another podcast episode. Uh, God's grace and peace be unto you. Glad you can join with us today. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a happening that took place in Louisville, Kentucky, just recently, uh, a notorious death camp that we had confronted in times past and ministered the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Apparently, um, they have sold that death camp, and it is no more. And we praise the Lord uh, for shutting down uh, that death camp and, and probably... Uh, I'm in talks with Pastor Joseph Spurgeon and others. Uh, There may be a call where, you know, some of the locals and the OSA saints who ministered there, we may have a time to celebrate and give God much praise and glory uh, for shutting down that death camp and uh, removing the blood stain uh, from that city. So anyway, uh, a lot of things are happening in that regard. Uh, If you uh, recall last year, June, uh, the the Supreme Court decision, the Dobbs decision, uh, did a couple of things. It um, revealed that Roe versus Wade was unconstitutional. Uh, It was never the law of the land. It was always the lie of the land. And Finally, the Supreme Court came clean and um, kind of brought forth the self-evident truth. Uh, But tragically, they did not go far enough. They did not do their duty, which is to protect those kids under the 14th and 5th Amendment. Uh, What they did was cowardly uh, punt that issue down the road and kicked it back to the states. And so now we've been engaged in battles uh, state by state, um, still looking uh, to the Lord for that first state to cross the line and obey him and completely uh, abolish abortion, uh, put abortion back in the homicide code at the state statute level. And uh, we've been working on that. And, um, you know, there's Some states, you know, the blue states, that they're doubling down on their bloody tyrannies and their corruption. And red states, uh, they're turning more pro-life, you know. Um, But as yet, there's not one state that has completely abolished abortion and, um, and, and cleansed the land uh, their state land of the blood guilt. And so we still have a lot of work ahead of us. 
to get this accomplished. And uh, praise be to God for all the pastors and elders and Christians and churches that are working in their state uh, to see this through, uh, to deliver uh, America from blood guilt one state at a time. But uh, another interesting factor about the, the Dobbs decision, which was at least on a personal level, was pretty interesting because I would, uh, you know, after the Dobbs decision came down, you know, through the years, you know, um, helping to lead uh, Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, you know, we went to death camps all over uh, the nation, you know, city to city, state to state, and, uh, you know, through the years confronted, you know, hundreds of death camps and, uh, you know, faithfully ministered the gospel of the kingdom, you know, and God was very gracious to us. Uh, we overcame a lot and a lot of good kingdom fruit came from those efforts, you know, thousands of babies were rescued and and uh, hundreds of families uh, came to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and hundreds of death camps were shut down through the years and we give God the praise and the glory for that. But what was interesting, after the Dobbs decision, as I'm scrolling through Facebook, I'm seeing like all these death camps that we had ministered to uh, throughout the years, you know, just one after another, you know, shut their doors, uh, closed down uh, their bloody operations. And, uh, you know, of course, it's like it's like surreal, right? You know, because you've been there through the years, you know, and in the heat or the cold and the blood, sweat and tears and, you know, all that goes into this battle to end this Holocaust. And then, bam, you know, one after another. They're just shutting down and they're falling like dominoes. And, you know, it's uh, it's very surreal. Uh, obviously, we give glory to God, you know, for this taking place. But like I said, we're still not done. We, we haven't uh, completed uh, what God demands, and that's for his justice to be established. And um, abortion you know, placed back in the homicide code at the state level so God can begin to cleanse the land of blood guiltiness. But, you know, watching these death camps shut down, and and so I just thought it was, you know, appropriate that, that the church gather at these death camps that the church has ministered to and to see how God watched over his word to perform it how he plucked up, rooted out, overthrew, and destroyed those death camps. And, of course, to seek the Lord, how would he would build and plant upon that uh, property to redeem it for the good. And so, you know, we've been doing that. We've been going from city to city, state to state. And I'm hoping uh, very soon that we will make that journey to Louisville, Kentucky, that we could give God great glory and praise and worship uh, for being merciful to that city for driving out that death camp and so uh, if that does happen brothers and sisters I'll I'll kind of let you know if you follow me on Facebook I usually post things like that 
Um, so anyway, um, but just thinking through Louisville, there, there's a lot uh, that I'm tied to personally, my family and I, like so much happened in Louisville, Kentucky that changed the projectile of our life and our ministry. You know, one of the great blessings was I got to meet a precious brother and his family, uh, Pastor Joseph Spurgeon, his lovely bride, Rowena, and he has just some adorable, precious kids. And I got to meet Mark Cox and Melissa and their precious family and, you know, so many of the saints there in Louisville. Um, you know, we, uh, we knew that uh, OSA wanted to go to Louisville, but we had no uh, local leadership, no saints to work with, and came in contact with Joseph, and, you know, he's full-blown Presbyterian. I'm a charismaniac, and, <laughs> and boy, did we, we had just some great and wonderful times uh, together uh, serving the Lord in the battle. I know I stretched him and tweaked him a little bit, and he did the same for me, but it was so good. Uh, we enjoyed just tremendous fellowship in the battle and really got to know each other and our families, and they're just so precious to me. And, and uh, so anyway, you know, we contacted Joseph, and we met with him and Mark and some other brothers uh, to discuss the possibility of doing a, uh, an event in Louisville, Kentucky. We kind of talked it through, prayed it through, and uh, he eventually uh, got on board. And it was so awesome, brothers and sisters, because when we started this relationship, it was to you know do an event in Louisville, and uh, but at the same time, uh, God was dealing with Joseph. Uh, he was involved in the church, and. Um, he was he and the church both knew that God was calling him to do his own church plant um, but it, there was a struggle there and we you know OSA came into his life uh, as he was going through this transition so you know he was in school and he's going through this big change in church and he's joined us in the battle and yeah, his life was just, you know, uh, you know, turned upside down. And, and uh, but we, we, we sort of came along as a paraclete and, um, you know, we kind of helped him negotiate through that transition in his life. And he eventually did start uh, his own church. And we had the privilege, the honor uh, to come alongside and serve and help him uh, get that church established. So while we were working to abolish abortion in Kentucky, uh, we also uh, uh, used a lot of our labor force uh, to help Joseph, you know, plant this church. And I'm here to tell you it took root. Uh, the Lord has blessed that work. They are growing they are a thriving congregation, and we give all God the praise and the glory uh, for that. So, you know, all that's going on, and we're preparing uh, for the event in Louisville. So 
uh, I come in uh, to spy out the land. And uh, so uh, I, I connect with Joseph. And one of the first things I asked him to do was to take me to the death camp because that was that was the only standing death camp in Louisville. Planned Parenthood um, was trying to open up another death camp, which we did confront while we were there. But at the time of the event, they were not operating. And so we're basically just dealing with this one, you know, um, Moloch in the state of Kentucky. And so Joseph and I, we, we ride to the death camp. And I just, you know, had this impulse, you know, you know, from the Lord just to go in to the death camp, uh, say hello uh, to the workers there and introduce myself and let them know what our plans were that the OSA saints, the church of the living God was going to come and confront uh, this evil that they were committing. And uh, so I, I open the door, I go inside and that's the last like Joseph sees me for quite some time. And so I go in, I, I hand uh, the receptionist my card, and I, you know, I asked if the manager was there. And so the manager came out, and so you know, I gave her my card. I just let her know what our plans were, and I'm just giving you a heads up. This is coming, and uh, just wanted you to know why we're here and what we're going to be doing uh, to confront and overcome this great evil that you're committing. So what's interesting is... <laughs> I'm getting ready to leave. She comes around and opens the door and she wants to talk. She wants to engage. And so, you know, it it, it probably honestly was at least, oh my goodness. Sorry about that. Didn't turn off my phone. That's a sin in podcastville. So uh, she she wants to, you know, have a conversation. And so, yeah. Let's talk. And she says she's a Christian and she believes this is a good work. And of course, I called her out on that and spoke to her biblically uh, concerning this thing. And we, we must have talked about 20 minutes to a half an hour. Uh, it was an engaging conversation. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was overly hostile, but obviously it's like, you know, Two different spirits, two different worldviews uh, clashing. And uh, everything that she tried to do to justify it, I, uh, you know, responded with the scriptures, with the word of God to refute it. And so, you know, this went on for a few minutes. And then finally I came out and Joseph, he was ready to call the police. He thought that they had somehow abducted me or something. He didn't know what happened. You know, I got swallowed up in some black hole in the death camp. Uh, but anyway, we, we came out and I told him what happened. And, you know, we're driving along. And like five minutes later, the manager calls me up. And she, she wants to continue this conversation. And this is really important because I'm going to get to another testimony uh, later on on how important this conversation is. So uh, anyway, um, she's trying to assure me that she truly is a Christian and they 
that they don't do just abortions, that, that she's involved and the clinic's involved in a lot of good works. And I said to her, I said, ma'am, I'm a Christian and anybody who does a good work, you know, I want to encourage, I, I you know, I, I, I want to bless. I said, but we're not discussing your good works. We're dealing with the evil works that you have put your hand to. You know, you're slaying the innocent for blood money. There's a curse on you, ma'am, and you need to repent and come out from among them and don't touch this unclean thing. So, you know, I was very forthright with her, you know, loving but firm with the truth. And so, you know, we, we, we have that conversation. And, and then afterwards, of course, we're planning uh, for the event. And um, we come in. We we plan on we so we we have that first engagement and so um, after that we're gonna come back in May because we planned on doing a rescue before the national event in July. Now I gotta tell you when I decided to do this rescue, boy did I receive a lot of heat and and and, and it was a lot a lot uh, from good friends and brothers in Christ you know, that were pleading with me not to do this. But I was dealing with a leadership issue because we were calling upon Governor Bevan. He was the governor at that time to exercise godly leadership as a governor to no longer regulate baby murder, but actually abolish it in Jesus name. And we actually got a meeting with him. He addressed our group and um, Pastor Matt Chuella and I, we were able to get uh, Matt's book to him, to challenge him, uh, and, and, and things of this nature. And so from a leadership point of view, you know, we, we were talking about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We were talking about the doctrine of interposition. And so my thought was, how could I expect this governor as a magistrate to exercise his duty to interpose on the behalf of these kids is if we as churchmen did not provide that example of integrity and courage to interpose on the behalf of these children. And so I, 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 it, it literally, yeah, I mean, it was the traditional rescue. We were there to interpose prayerfully. God was going to rescue babies and, minister the gospel to these families and all that did happen by the way and it was awesome but i also had a greater goal in mind which was to provide an example for the governor of kentucky to follow in other words this is what interposition uh looks like as it works through churchmen in church government but you have the sword we have the keys you also have a duty before God to interpose on the behalf of these children. And you have the lawful duty to do this, not just biblically, uh, but constitutionally. Uh, you have the right and duty to do this. And so we just wanted to provide that example to encourage him uh, to be bold, to step out in faith, do his duty. Uh, and we knew that it would cost you know, it would be a political price to be, you know, be paid. But we encouraged him, 
you know, you, he'll go down in history as the first governor to do his duty, you know, and interpose on the behalf of these helpless children and outlaw this wicked abomination in your state. And so, again, we just wanted to provide that encouragement, that opportunity, that example for him to follow. So we, we have this incredible rescue. And I chose this song, Jesus with Thy Church Abide. Uh, from Clear Note, the Great Shepherd Band, and it's just an awesome song. It's a it's a deep prayer for the Church of Jesus Christ. If you never heard it, Jesus with Thy Church abide. And and anyway, we we had chosen a specific lyric uh, when the church's faith is tried. That was the cue to cross the line to go from the private. Uh, from public sidewalk upon their private property and sit down at the door. Now, what was funny was I I told the saints, listen, we want to we want to do this in a worshipful way. So we just want the song to play, and we're just gonna worship. This is an act of worship as we cross this line of obedience and sit at the doors. Well, we crossed that line and all instructions just went right out the window, right? All pandemonium breaks out. First of all, the pro aborts that were there, the, the, the death scorts, of course, they're freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, you know, they done crossed the invisible barrier and we're like desecrating their humanistic temple, you know, so the spirits in them are just freaking out. But then our brethren, man, they just... Boy, they just launched. They just launched, man. I mean, they were like machine gun bullets, man, just ministering and preaching the word of God. And they were just awesome prayers and, you know, public proclamation of the gospel. And then, of course, the police come. And the police in Louisville, they were, they were sort of a different kind of department of the police. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, we had like favor with them. And so it was clear uh, they did not, and, I, and I, I mean this when I say it, they did not want to arrest us. And so the lieutenant uh, comes up to me and he says, uh, you put me in a tight spot here. He goes, I'm a, I'm a Catholic boy. And he said, I was raised in the Catholic Church, so I'm in a tight spot here. He goes, I know what you're doing, and I get it, but I'm also a police officer. And so he was just saying, listen, just, just, you know, move away from the door, and we won't arrest anybody. Can you just do that? You, you sort of made your point. You crossed the line. You know, you delivered your message. So, you know, just move away, and that'll be it. There will be no arrests. And and I said, uh, well, I can't do that, sir. And uh, so he walked away, and uh, he's talking it over with the other police officers. And so he comes back, and he says, all right, Rusty, what about this? Why don't you just stay here and be the only one arrested and then, you know, have the rest of the saints leave? Because we don't really want to arrest anybody. 
And I looked at him and I said, sir, um, this type of rescue hasn't been done in years um, because of the infamous face bill. Um, these saints had to take quite some time to seek the Lord, to count the cost, and be willing to pay this price. And I'm simply not going to take that from them. And, um, and so what happened was, uh, again, without arresting us, they were like pulling people away from the door and not arresting them. <laughs> but the saints kept coming back uh, to block the door. And so at that point, the lieutenant um, knew he, you know, he had to arrest us. And so, you know, they begin the arrests and, uh, and so they're handcuffing us and they're walking across the, they're walking us across the street. They had roped up. This is this, this death camp was like in downtown Louisville. So this was like a huge main, a lot of traffic street, you know, and uh, real busy. Well, they roped it all off, so nobody was coming in. No, nobody was going out. It was like Jericho, shut up. And so they they walk us across the street, and this is when we're sitting down on the sidewalk. We're handcuffed. And, of course, a lot of my children were there. And from this came a, um, a beautiful, like, one-minute YouTube video um, that a uh, – precious young lady um, filmed and she caught uh, a very powerful moment between me and my children, especially Jeremiah. And so once they had walked us across the street, my kids, of course, they're, they're, they're emotional, you know, they're seeing their dad and, and, and brothers and sisters, they know being hauled to jail. So you know, they're very emotional, they're moved, you know, so they, they come running around and there's that crime tape set up between uh, us and them. And so um, I look up and I, I have a, a really bad shoulder. Uh, it's a military injury. And um, through the years of rescue, I, I would beg the police, I'm not going to run away. You know, if you just please, I got a bad shoulder. If you could just please handcuff me in the front, uh, I won't run away. I give you my word. Well, depending on the police department, uh, some were just God haters, you know, and I gave them my weakness. And so they went out of the way uh, to jerk my shoulder. Uh, and when they uncuffed me, I literally had to walk in circles trying to get my shoulder back in place and get some relief from pain. Uh, so anyways, it, you know, just sitting there, it was quite painful. And, um, and I'm looking at my children and I said, kids, how's your heart? And they're looking at me, oh, it's good, daddy, it's good. And I said, children, this is your heritage. And when I said that, I was specifically looking at Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah. He, you know, he's 16 years old. And he's getting ready to bear this incredible cross that's going to touch so many lives and change so many lives. And this, I can honestly say, was the first impartation in his young life that 
placed his feet upon the path that he was to trod uh, for the glory of God and for the salvation of others. So when I said, this is your heritage, I literally saw the Spirit of God just fall upon my son. And again, you know, he was a he was a you know young man he's 16 years old you know and then the tears just start streaming down his face it was like the penny dropped right i mean all the years i had trained him in the scriptures and in the battle you know it's just like what he experienced at the rescue the ministry of the word and then seeing the example we we had set for them it just all hit and it collided with his soul and he got it. And when I say uh, he, he was set on fire, yeah, it was awesome to behold. He wasn't the same young man uh, after that rescue. So that's in May, right? And so then we're going to have the national event in July. And uh, a couple of things, you know, happened there that uh, were also a huge part of Jeremiah's testimony. So we, we had what, you call, what we call the Louisville Baptism Revival, okay? So part of our group uh, was out ministering somewhere, and then some of the group uh, stayed behind. So we had a few hundred people uh, in this church, and a young man uh, had recently uh, surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he asked if I would baptize him. And I said, yes, young man, I'd be honored, privileged to baptize you. So the, the church that was hosting us, they filled up the baptismal pool, and, and so we proceed to have this baptism. And all I can tell you, brothers and sisters, uh, when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit just descended. He just fell upon the congregation, upon that pool. And I just give this short admonishment, you know, come on in, the water's fine kind of deal. And when I stepped into that pool to do that one baptism, I didn't leave until three hours later. They just started coming. And you got to remember, they had no change of clothes, no towels, nothing like that. They just knew God showed up and they wanted to be with him. And so they, and I know this is going to tweak people. And I know this, you know, oh, they might have been baptized before. And, you know, I, man, you guys are just weird. Say what you want to say. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really don't care. I just know God showed up. And they wanted to be with him. And, and so they, they just came running. You know, individuals, young people, uh, married couples, families, entire families came um, to be baptized. And we literally saw God do the miraculous. And like, you know, uh, marriages were being healed and restored. Prodigals that were having huge problems with the Lord and the church and their parents, they just returned in their heart uh, to their parents. I mean, uh, it, it was just, it was miraculous. And um, 
it, it, we it, we all knew that that God had had visited us, and 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 then one of the most powerful manifestations is when I had the opportunity uh, to baptize Jeremiah, and it's and it's like almost like some prophetic words were uttered, like when he came into the waters. I said, "Here he comes, Lord! Here he comes! He's always been yours. He's never been mine." And, uh, and, and boy, you could just feel, it. I mean, the, the air was just charged, you know, with the presence of God. And, you know, Jeremiah is just sobbing, you know, he's, he, 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 God is just moving upon this kid. And so, you know, when I dunk him and he comes up, he starts beating his chest. And what's so interesting about this is he's beating his chest where eventually the tumor that kills him, uh, you know, he's, he's beating that place where the tumor is going to come and literally split him in half. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing to watch uh, this baptism. And, and now looking back, you know, with 2020 vision, not knowing, you know, what was awaiting our son. But this is another time, you know, the Lord visits him. And, um, and is preparing him for this cross that he is going to bear. Uh, and there's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. And so, you know, we, we have this incredible national event. Uh, the saints show up. It was powerful. You know, um, I, I, I was uh, banned uh, from the uh, sidewalk because of the rescue and some other saints. Um, but anyway, it was just powerful. We had a kid's day where we had all the children, you know, um, lined up uh, next to all the death courts to pray for them. And of course, the death courts turned their back and it was just, you know, it was so powerful. Of course, the federal marshals and all the police are looking at this going, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Of course, we had a chance to minister the gospel to them as well. Uh, but anyway, another very interesting uh, happened at this national event that um, concerns Jeremiah. And, and something that's really just powerful that happened during that national event. Uh, we uh, set up a huge display in downtown Louisville. And uh, of course, when we go to do a national event, we have different teams and different groups doing different venues, different outreaches, different ministries. And so we had a display team. And so we figured that would be a good place for our young people to go and pass out tracts and learn how to minister the gospel and use a display and and uh, and all those different things. And so we had a few adults with them, and, and, uh, and they went to downtown Louisville. What we did not know... Uh, there was a group of about 50 adult Satanists, not just pro-aborts, not just sodomites, full-blown Satanists waiting for our children. And like I said, we did have some adult supervision, but there wasn't many adults, and there was 50 adult Satanists. And we probably had about 100 young people um, go there and so they were coming in buses and so once the doors opened up 
you know, here's the young people unloading and here come the Satanists. And I mean, full-blown attack mode, vulgarity, profanity, spells, witchcraft, curses. I mean, shouting, screaming, raging uh, at these young people. And of course, the young people are just freaking out. Like this is a huge assault to their souls. And they weren't, none of us were prepared for this. We didn't know uh, that, that we were going to be ambushed uh, by this group. Um, you know, so, but here it is. And so here's these young people. I mean, they're trembling. They're in fear. They're being threatened. It's a dangerous, you know, uh, battle taking place. And some of them are crying. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a <laughs> it's a very difficult situation to say the least. Now, what's interesting, and I, and I don't know what role some of the adults played in leading them, but I do know whether the adults told them to do this or they just instinctively did this. They just began to fall on our, their knees. And they began to praise and worship the Lord. And they just began to sing his praise and his worship. And literally, a huge transformation takes place, like right before their very eyes. And you got to remember, it's not just the, the Satanists are out there, the media is out there, the police is out there, you know, the OSA adults and children are out there. Okay, it's a big scene. There's a lot of people. And all of a sudden, these trembling lambs become roaring lions. And I wish I could show you the pictures of these kids' faces. Because they went from serious, I mean serious to the core fear. Like trembling, you know, shaking, literally shaking. Right? And now they're roaring. They're just roaring like lions. And boy, the battle just takes off. It just commences like big time. And so one of the adults uh, takes the microphone and he's challenging the media and the police. Like, what are you seeing here? What do you see? He said, you see those Satanists over there with the vulgarity and their profanity and their cursing, and their occultism, and their witchcraft. He goes, that is the kingdom of darkness. He goes, you see these kids on their knees? He said, they're weeping. They're praising God. They're praying for the souls of these Satanists who, who are attacking them. He goes, this, this is the kingdom of God. So it's like this whole Mount Carmel showdown. And it's like this visual aid for the media and the police to see. And so the, the brother is just challenging them. Who or what do you want guiding our future? And where are you? Are you in this kingdom over here of darkness? Or are you in the kingdom of God? So it was like a powerful time of presenting the gospel of the kingdom and the Lord provided this whole Mount Carmel visual aid uh, to minister his word in a very powerful, powerful way. Now, what came out of that 
if something again happened to my son, Jeremiah. And so when we caught up, he ran to me, he said, Dad, Dad, I got to tell you something. I said, what is it, son? He goes, you know, all these years, how you dragged me around from, you know, battlefront to battlefront. And he goes, a lot of times I didn't want to go. He said, Dad, I got to tell you, this is the first time in my life I didn't want to leave the battlefield. I didn't want to leave it. And it's like he got the, the smell of battle in his nostrils. I mean, he just, it just hit him. And it's like the Lord just imparted uh, this warrior spirit uh, in him. And, and boy, he, he was going to need it uh, because the big trial uh, is coming for him. And so, you know, we did the national event and uh, eventually we did have to face the music, you know, for the face charges that were brought against uh, myself and 10 others. And uh, the timing of that was also pretty incredible because one week after burying my son, Jeremiah, after he had ran his lap of the race faithfully, um, who lived and died so well for his Lord, um, I literally, you know, put him into the ground and one week later, I'm back in Louisville uh, facing the wrath of uh, the Department of Justice, our federal government. And so we, we went back to the death camp and I got to preach again uh, at, that, uh, at that altar in Moloch and gave him some heaven. And then, of course, we had to go and then face the music. And boy, this trial... Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Uh, we, it was very hard for us to find a lawyer to represent us. And we did find one lawyer who was more ensconced in the kind of pro-life movement. And he wasn't completely on board with abolition. And uh, he wasn't sure uh, if he should take this case and... Um, and then uh, somehow, some way, he agreed to do it. So we had this one lawyer. And when we go into the court trial, there are eight, eight U.S. attorneys, federal attorneys for the Department of Justice. So this is like a serious, like David versus Goliath, your narrative in a courtroom. And, uh, and so it, it doesn't look good. <laughs> i just tell you right now, it doesn't look good. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to get hammered. Um, we're going to go to jail for 10 years and take us lifetimes to pay off this fine, right? And so uh, anyway, it was clear that they had come in early, that they had uh, practiced, you know, with their witnesses a certain narrative that they wanted to bring out, you know, to pre present us as domestic terrorists, a, a danger, you know, to society, uh, hate mongers, and, you know, yada, 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 the same old tired old progressive Marxist response to child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. So, 
you know, they, they did their job. They coached them and stuff like that. Well, finally, oh, by the way, the Louisville police, remember the ones I told you didn't want to arrest us? Now, nobody, nobody asked them to my knowledge, but some of them came to the federal court trial and they didn't come as witnesses against us. They came to support us, which was truly miraculous. That typically doesn't happen, but God clearly had did a work uh, in these police officers' heart um, by the stand that we took and the actions, you know, that we lived out before them. And so anyway, they finally called the manager up, and this is the same lady who claimed to be a Christian, you know, who claimed she was doing good deeds in the Lord by working for this death camp. And, and sacrificing children to Moloch. Well, they bring up, you know, me and OSA and, you know, he's such a dangerous individual. And I felt so threatened by him and, you know, and all this gobbledygook, right? And so I lean over to our lawyer and, and say, listen, ask her about the conversation we had uh, at the lobby at the death camp and the conversation we had after five minutes when she called me, ask her about that. And uh, so when he gets a chance to cross examine her, he, he brings up uh, that meeting and, and he asks her to describe, you know, what that meeting was like, you know, did he threaten you? Did he, pose any danger you know to you and I want to remind you you are under oath and she goes no he said well and then well, how would you describe the conversation and she goes pleasant pleasant well when she says that you could watch like the eight U.S. attorneys it's like their tire got flattened like the wind came completely out of their sail and their entire case against us collapsed. And so God used, when I first walked into that clinic to introduce myself, uh, God used that much later to deliver us out of the hands of the Department of Justice. Now, we still had to go through some things and we had to work out a deal with the federal government. Um, but I will tell you this, uh, the Lord uh, clearly uh, delivered us out of their hands. So, you know, so much, you know, happened, you know, when it came to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, our meeting with precious brothers and sisters in Christ that we had the chance to run this race of faith with, fight battles together. And, and now... Uh, that death camp has shut its doors and we give God praise and glory and honor for watching over his word to perform it. And so brothers and sisters, I, I pray that this testimony was an encouragement to you because um, it just shows the, the works of God, um, how he works through his saints when we trust him, when we put our faith in him, when we obey him, 
um, he does great things. He really, really does. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about the God who, you know, has delivered us, is delivering us, and he will yet deliver. That's the true living God. That's God the Father. That's God the Son. That's God the Holy Spirit. It's the triune God of the Bible. That God, yes, that one. He is so worthy, brothers and sisters, so worthy of our love, so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our service and obedience to him. He truly does great things. And uh, I pray this was an encouragement to your soul. And uh, if uh, I have the chance, if I find out before another podcast, um, if there's going to be a praise and worship service there to celebrate this victory, I'll let you know. Anyway, until then, you keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. <laughs>